Good afternoon, everybody. It is good to be with you. Good to be able to share another live at five. And uh, we've been working our way through the first few chapters of 2 Corinthians. And it seems real. In fact, if I wanted to put um, a title over this afternoon, I guess it would be the idea of reconciliation. And the idea of reconciliation that can be really important for us. Uh, at this point, as we're beginning to move out of this uh, lockdown situation. But as we work through it, I think the verse that, verses that Steve had just a few minutes ago, I just wanted to think about one of those, the opening words, because they're really quite surprising. And for many of us, we might find them, I guess, uncomfortable. Look at how Paul opens in verse 11. He says this, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Oh, what, a, what an amazing opening that is. What an interesting phrase for him to use, the idea of the fear of the Lord. It's something which um, gets right at the very heart of what our idea of God is. And I suppose I would want to ask the question, this afternoon for all of us, what is our idea of God? I was um, reading uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's um, Treasure Island a few months ago, and it really surprised me uh, to see the idea of God in that particular culture. I guess it would be the Georgian culture. And the idea of this terrifying, fearful God was right in the idea in the hearts of the pirates uh, and their fear of death. I guess for our culture today, we've we've moved almost to the other end of the spectrum. And our idea of God is defined only by love. God is a God of love, but I guess when we only define God by that idea of love, there's a danger that we move God to be some sort of benign being. C.S. Lewis thought about this and how important it is when he was writing his books for children, the books of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, we first get introduced to this character, Aslan, Aslan the Lion. And Aslan is representative of Jesus. Subtly, um, C.S. Lewis is taking us through this journey of explaining the message of the Bible. And Susan, one of the children who's gone through the back of the wardrobe into the land of Narnia, hears that Aslan, who's been talked about while she's been uh, in the company of the other animals, she finds out that he's a lion. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, Susan says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I want us to just hold on to that idea as we work through the idea of the fear of God. That idea that God isn't a benign God who is only ever love and kind and 
will never do anything to offend us or will never be angry with us, but rather God is an unsafe God, but he is good. And Paul has explained this God to the Corinthian church. He spent time with them and he's now left them. He's writing another letter back to them. And the problem that he finds is that um, while he's been away, the, there is a danger that the church in Corinth there is starting to drift away from the message that Paul gave to them. The idea of this God who is both kind and yet fearful, a God who is not benign, a God who intervenes and confronts evil and brings perfect, pure righteousness. It's all about God for Paul, but in the intervening time, other guys have come in and they've started to take the Corinthian church in a different direction. And we get the feel in this particular section that Paul is coming to them. And the first thing I want to see is that he desires reconciliation with the Corinthian church. That's the first thing I want us to think about, the desire for reconciliation. It is ironic that we're talking about reconciliation. If ever we needed an example over this past week of the crisis of our human experience, we face the terrible fears and the inconsistencies of uh, these past weeks. And, and we, we recognize that with collapse on a Thursday evening. The whole of the world has been affected and we've seen similar responses across the world. And then we also see the horrific killing of George Floyd, the black man in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I mean, what could speak more powerfully about the inconsistency of our human experience? We desire so desperately to be reconciled and yet writ across our society is our experiences of not being reconciled. Paul's writing here to this Corinthian church and he, he comes to them and he says, we come in the fear of the Lord and you accepted our message, but now that message is being twisted by people who are self-centered. Look at what he says following on from verse 11 we try to since we know what it is to fear the lord we try to persuade others we, what we are is plain to god and i hope it is also plain to your conscience we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that we can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Do you see what Paul's saying there? What he's, what he's getting at is, when we came, we brought you something which was not about us. It was about what went on in our hearts. It's about the power of God that worked amongst us when we spent time with you. But what's happened in the intervening time and the reason why we need to be reconciled again why we are irreconciled at the moment is because others have come and they've taken pride in what can be seen. 
outward experiences, outward acts, maybe love of money, maybe love of being the center of attention, maybe love of being the spokesperson, maybe the love of the appeal of the crowd, whatever it might be. What we see is that there are those who have come and they have taken pride only in things that are seen. And Paul's saying, I want you to remember that we take pride in what goes on in your heart. He even goes on so far as to say, we don't really mind what people think of us in that desire. If we're out of our mind, as some might say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. He's saying to them, what do you think about us? What do you think about the message that we bring? Do you think we're out of our minds? Well, we're not worried personally if you think that. Because what we're proclaiming is the message of God. And, and our status is not important. But if it makes sense to you. If this message of Jesus makes sense to you, this message is for you. He's saying, I want you to understand that, I want you to see that we're not important. It is actually about Jesus. In fact, we want to go on and reinforce to you why it's so important to us. He goes on and he says, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ died for all, he says. It's all about him. It's not about our status. Our our desire to be reconciled to you is not to compete against those who are winning your affection because we want to be on a higher plane than them. It's, that's not important. It's not about us. It's about the compelling love of Jesus Christ who died for all. That's the good that C.S. Lewis finally communicates through the character Aslan. Susan begins to understand that Aslan is good, although he can be terrifying, because Aslan gives his life for her brother. He gives his life and he dies so that evil can be destroyed. And Paul is saying ex exactly the same. In fact, C.S. Lewis is saying the same as Paul, isn't he? That's the foundation. Paul is saying you need to understand the love of Jesus is so compelling because he died so that you might live. That's the, our desire, he says. So what are the grounds for the reconciliation that Paul says he wants to uh, broach with the Corinthian church? If we live in a world which, as I mentioned earlier, we seem in human terms to be unable to reconcile ourselves with each other, how can we possibly hope to be reconciled? Is there something 
which can speak about reconciliation in this? Is there a way of seeing things, if you like, that means that we can be reconciled? Well, verse 16 explains absolutely that there is a way of seeing things. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He's saying we, we've, we recognize that there has, there has been a dramatic change in the way we view the world, the way we view others. And it's our change is, is in the way we now view Jesus. We once regarded Jesus in a worldly sense. In other words, we, we reduced him down to our level. We considered him to be just a human being. No divinity in this Jesus of Nazareth. And when we did that, we put ourselves on a par with him. In fact, we put ourselves above him. But when we came to see who he was, when we were impacted by who he claimed to be, we viewed him in a completely different way. We view him through the lens of eternity, heaven and Christ as God. And when we do that, it changes the way we see you as well. So you might offend us, but we don't view you in this horizontal human dimension. We don't view you in this world's perspective. We change our view and we view you through the lens, through the looking glass of our faith in Jesus. That's how we now see you. Do you see how powerful that can be? Do you see how leveling and reconciling that can be? That's the grounds that Paul is saying. There is the possibility for us to truly be reconciled. Our prejudices, our history, our different ideas, they are all reasons when they are elevated to be the grounds of difference. That means that we can never be reconciled. And yet, when we place our position before Jesus as more supreme than all of those other things, they are overwhelmed by this different view and this new perspective, this new way of seeing each other can be the grounds of truly being reconciled. That's what it is to see each other in Jesus Christ. We're talking about a new world after lockdown. We're talking about a new world. We are undoubtedly living through history, aren't we? This is an incredible historical moment, a global pandemic with unprecedented impact. And we hope for a new world. Hashtag be kind. Hashtag community. I hate to say it, but history teaches us that we never learn from history. In our hashtag be kind movement of just a few months ago, we can see it crumbling even now. We do not have the strength, the capability, the grounds for reconciliation outside of reconciliation first in Jesus. 
And therefore, because of that, because that grounds of reconciliation in Paul's eyes is so incredibly powerful, he makes a plea that the Corinthian church are reconciled. So we've, we've seen that he has a desire for reconciliation. We see that he has grounds for reconciliation. Now we see he makes a plea for reconciliation. And in a sense, that plea for reconciliation waves across the 2000 years since this was first written. And this plea speaks out to us today. I think I think it would be fair to say that if we are concluding anything through this journey of sharing Christ Church on a on a an internet platform at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon with who knows who is tuning in or watching, whether it's live or whether it's catching up later on. Here's the thing that we would say. We plead with you that you would be reconciled to God. Here's this Corinthian church. It seems as though they once were truly knit to hope in God. And they've kind of ended up in a different place. And Paul is saying, I plead with you, come back. The first thing that he says in that plea is that the basis of this is God. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? He's saying he the first thing that happens is that God moves. And when we're reconciled, it means that we then plead that you would be reconciled through our ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Isn't that an amazing thing? Why are we not reconciled to God? Why, why do we start in a place of not being reconciled to God in the first place? Because our sins are counted against us. But in Jesus Christ, he says that in Jesus Christ, we move by faith to a place where he does not count our sins against us. Isn't that an amazing phrase? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So here's the thing. Here's the plea. Jesus is saying, through this letter that was written to the Corinthian church, you are not reconciled to me by nature. But through faith, you can be reconciled to me and I will not count your sins against you. And therefore, it seems really obvious that Paul pushes this and he says, I plead with you. I plead with you that you be reconciled. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are the, the spokespeople. We are those who are in the place of speaking on behalf of God right now. We're making, 
uh, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This God who we fear, why do we fear this God? Because he is perfect. And any flavour, any taste, any little, any aroma of unrighteousness, he is angry against. And yet he says, but I direct all of that. I direct all of that anger towards my son. I make him sin for us. So that in him, we might become reconciled to God. And we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> this offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most amazing news. And it is the grounds for reconciliation. Paul pushes and pushes and pushes. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Paul's, re Paul's quoting the Old Testament there. He's saying that's how it was. God, God heard them in the past. He'll hear you again. So he says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Now is the time of God's favour. Now, now is the day of salvation. I pray that now and the experience of salvation in Jesus Christ, the now, might be somebody's experience as you watch or listen to this. That you might see that this is not about us. This is not about Christchurch, five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon in lockdown. It's not about us. We are simply mouthpiece, ambassadors, spokespeople for the great news of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be reconciled to God. And therefore, we urge you, we plead with you, because now is the day of salvation. Hello, everyone. Hiya. Hiya, hi, Paul. You all right? I'm good. Um, first thing, um, I don't, we, I, I sh yeah, I should share this with everybody watching. And uh, when we watched Sharbs' song earlier on, the comment was, uh, when you're going to get the album out, Sharbs. Um, yeah, It absolutely. was just an ama amazing, uh, it was a like, beautiful song and uh, really nicely done. Uh, and it's really cool. So I'm a Christian and just to be able to, to be able to tag along with that, I think sometimes that's what praise and worship is, isn't it? You just get to be the person who can listen to the person whose God is equipped to sing and some person, I'm not sure who wrote the song, somebody will maybe comment, or Sharbs will maybe comment, but some, some person, you know, penned these words and it allows me as I meander my way through faith, you know, to reach a moment where I can really share that, talk to God. So thank you, Sharbs. Thank you. Um, thank you, God Spirit. Thank you, whoever the person was that um, wrote the song. Two things uh, that 
were really helpful out the text that I'd not seen in the week as I'd uh, read through or I'd not thought about um, this idea that Jesus allows us to, as we see Jesus differently, we see um, other people differently. And just, I guess, the thought that we might not ordinarily be able to see them in that way, that really struck mm. me in, a, in quite a powerful way. I think it's a really important, it's a really like critical part of the gospel message. You know, why should Christians pipe up? What should we bang on about? Yeah, it's Paul saying it shouldn't be ourselves. It should be that this story has got a real impact on how we can reconcile with each other. And the other thing, before you jump back in, was... Um, and just as you were talking, Paul, uh, this sort of resonated. The fear of God, I think it's quite a hard... I wanted to have a better question than this, but I've really just got an open-ended statement. It, it's quite a hard thing to get your head around, I think, the fear the fear of God. It's quite a difficult... Even, you know, I think Aslan the Lion is about the most helpful picture that you can have because you still need to have the fear. But at the same time, even now I'm still... Yeah, how how afraid should I be? Of God, how conf- how cocky and confident should I be with my prayers? How familiar should I sound? All those kind of things. I don't know what you thought about that. Has your as your journey with that fear changed from when you were a younger Christian? Has there been any movement on it? Yeah, I think it probably has. I think um, I think I was I was I think I misplaced the awe of God into something which was terrifying Uh, and as time's gone on I've realized that yes God is a terrifying God in one sense if you take Jesus out of it God is a terrifying God but when you place Jesus in the Trinity and realize that Jesus is the reconciling the reaching out the 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 aspect of that divine nature of God that makes us acceptable and loved of God that that's mind-blowing I, I think I think fear it's yeah it is all it's reverence it's all of those things mm. but but there is a reason if we're not prepared to be reconciled to that God why there should be a sense of fear because this god is not one that we can barter with it's not a god who we can negotiate with god is a god of absolute justice and righteousness and therefore when we come face to face with that god and we're not ready for it then that's that's in the aslan story as well isn't it the white witch isn't ready and isn't willing to bow to aslan thinks that she's got him <laughs> but i think that seeing seeing that um so i th- i think if you go back maybe the preacher 50 years ago would say god's real and you'd hear him talk and you'd think oh, i should be scared of him and then you might make a decision about him based on that but i think it's a harder message perhaps to explain nowadays because as you said at the start of the talk we do think straight away if god's anything is just mm. view him through this lens of love in a specific kind of way and to mm. even to consider the fact that he gets you know so this stuff that makes him angry this stuff that is on his mm. mind the stuff yeah. that has to be done that those are the more difficult concepts i think for yeah, people yeah. to grasp yeah it it's funny how 
uh, something that you fear changes as you get to know what the fear is, I think. Mm -hmm. So when you're a kid and you're frightened of the dark, then, you know, the because you don't understand the, what you know what's going on when the lights go out when you go to bed it is scary and then as you grow and you get to know that you know my room is a safe place and you kind of understand the dark you understand that the dark is a place for you to sleep and take rest and kind of those kind of things and I think that's definitely been true in my journey of getting to know God and Jesus yeah. as I've yeah. got to know him my sense of being f scared or frightened or fear of him has changed from being frightened of his judgment and wrath, which, you know, he's actually turned on Jesus for me, as you were saying, yeah. Paul, yeah. to be in awe of um, his holiness and, and majesty to the to the point like I was thinking about Isaiah when he um, when he falls on his knees just because of like how incredible God is. It's a worshipful thing, almost fear. It's an it's an yeah. awe fear rather than a, yeah. uh, you're still quaking in your boots, but you understand them more. Yeah, does, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think as well, one of the things to keep to keep in mind is that we, we need a God who's fearful. We actually need that. Um, because if we've got a God who is only benign and only loving and only kind, he's a God who can in that, on that basis, he can never confront injustice he's never big enough to confront injustice and we look around our world and we see profound injustice we say how is it going to be resolved and we have a god who's we've reduced to be as benign as us and it's a bit like do, you, do we fear the law of the land um we have no reason to fear the law of the land at all unless we're breaking that law <laughs> But there's every reason why we should fear the law of the land, mm. because justice is a good thing. Mm. Um, and, and that awe, that awe of God is that, that fear is that he has not only the righteousness and the justice, but the ability to judge, <laughs> which is what we need. So I was going to ask you, the question was, are you, are you afraid of God? And I'm guessing then the answer is, yeah, a little bit, kind yeah. of, you know, or, anyway. That's a really good question, I think, uh, yeah. Yes I think the and more no. Time, yes and no, but I think the more <laughs> time goes on, the more the more I I get to see how, um, how beautiful Jesus is. Yeah. That the fear just ebbs away. And... I guess you don't hold on to this world as much. That sounds all a bit highfalutin, doesn't it? <laughs> if, if the illustration and of I Aslan think the prevails, the definition so... of fear is, in, yeah. is a yeah. good one as well. I think the definition yeah. of fear is important. Yeah, the, the illustration fear is of awe, in awe of fear, or uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. If Aslan prevails, I guess when you get to know Aslan, then you get to a point where even though there's a reality that is scary, you know that he's knowing that he's good. Mm. You know, yeah, it makes it. You know, means you means you'd walk with him, even though he's scary. I guess that yeah. would be. Well, Mr. Mr. Beaver says he's good, and you kind of think, wow, that's amazing. He's 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 not safe, but he's good. Well, that's great. <laughs> what do you mean he's he's not safe? It means he's got the power to do something about the injustice of Narnia. That's not 
I don't think you can have a spoiler for Narnia. Has it been out around long enough for me to not? Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. and I so. think we should. <laughs> he wins, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. We should recommend it as well. If you're if you're struggling for a book or a film, yeah. Then and it's not too late even to start now. I don't think it lasts for more than two hours. You could still stick it on now. It's a great storyline. Yeah. The the other thing I observed, I found really helpful, was some of the the language of reconciliation, mm. and the language of ambassador. I think. Um, Sometimes when I've thought about it, when I've thought about what I was as a Christian, and even as somebody who's going to pass this message on, sometimes it, I've not always been really comfortable with with it. And sometimes I've experienced, you know, I've experienced it being passed on, or being lived out as if somebody's almost looking down. You almost end up looking down at the other person. I think this sort of text sort of hints at all this. You end up becoming somebody who's bound up in rules. And you've got to get other people to listen to the rules the way that you listen to the rules. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. But the idea of a reconciler or the idea of an ambassador just gives you a different, gives that a different slant, doesn't it? So verse 18 reminds us that we're reconciled as well and we become reconcilers. So we're, as people yeah. that have been reconciled, we become reconcilers. 19 is that we're actively looking to help people out, not not look down on them, which I think is the, Sometimes it becomes the Christian slip-up, doesn't it? That we end up... Yeah, that's massive. That we end up doing that rather than um, rather than realising that we've been greatly helped and we are helping, not not hindering, yeah. which we've become. And also verse 20, this it just blew me away that God is making his appeal through us. It's not like we've done anything awesome. Do you know what I mean? It's just that as ambassadors, we've... We've not achieved anything great. We've just we've got a great home. Do you know what I mean? We've got we've got a great place that we know that we're going to. That's what that's what our joy is. Yeah, and we can get that muddled up sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I think. The, the, I was gonna say I well, love the language of ambassador. Just yeah, like it's so rich, isn't it? I mean, yeah. bec- I think because we still have ambassadors now that we understand in one sense the honor of being an ambassador for a kingdom like yeah. a kingdom which is perfect um i you know a kingdom that will not pass away and we get to be an ambassador of that like what an incredible honor when we feel at times so broken and unable to represent that well um yeah, yeah. that that's a, a real wrestle but God still caught like what are just the honor that God calls us to be ambassadors. To be that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, um, I mean, ambassadors can take different forms as well, can't they? Um, you can be a saber rattling ambassador in this world, <laughs> um, but that's well, not very reconciling. Um, what I do you mean by you, a saber rattling ambassador? Well, just, just being. That- being a prepared for conflict. <laughs> Come on. Um, not, I'm not serving Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I was going to go there, Jude Ferrero. <laughs> um, no, you, you looking for looking for a fight. Do you know what? You can be an yeah. ambassador that's looking for a fight. Yeah. But Jesus has given us the model for ambassadors. I think in the Beatitudes when he says, uh, "Blessed are the peacemakers." That that's. Yeah. That's the nature of ambassador that we should be. And that becomes that becomes a reconciler, the idea of being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So is suddenly... 
the ambassador becomes really small. The ambassador becomes a child of God. Yeah. It just it really helped me out um, in terms of ironing out. And you know, I think sometimes the message of Christianity is really strong, and I think sometimes you got to speak up as a Christian. I think all all of that stuff. But I think it it really helps give me a helpful focus. You know, to think, mm. man, the action of the action that God chiefly did was to reconcile people yeah. and give somebody like me a shot. You know, stubborn as I am, and you know, without that, I don't see any. You know, I hold grudges. You know, I still hold grudges, but. I'm just not going to be able to see people right at all. And yet no, having that sort of overarching storyline fl- flips on its head what, what what evangelism becomes or what telling anybody else about the story becomes because you're not yeah. bashing them. You know, yeah. you just, you're already moved by something that you know about that you want to just um, pass on. So that was really, really helpful. I read a good quote this week from a guy called uh, Dallas Willard. And he said, um, we don't, we don't believe, we don't, we don't believe something just because we say we believe it. We believe something because we act like it's true. And yeah. I think that's really helpful in terms of how we behave as ambassadors. It's not something that we just say, oh, this is like, you should believe this too. Like, we, we should behave it yeah. because in response to the truth of it. Yeah. And yeah. that um, that behavior and that action actually speaks louder than all our words and people yeah. see that i think that speaks yeah, really powerfully in yeah. a non-verbal way yeah. if, if you know what i mean yeah absolutely brilliant it's a great quote to um go out on jude quote of the week it's becoming your thing jude i really like <laughs> i really like that let's wrap it up there then um <laughs> thank <not> you sure. <laughs> thank you for watching everyone thank you for your comments um thank you for continuing faithfully uh, in your homes we look forward very much to seeing you all soon jude would you be able just to close um this time with a prayer for us please yeah <clears throat> so father we just come to you and um we just are so thankful that we can bow in your presence the presence of God who has the power to do something about the injustice of this world and yet listens to this prayer. And as we try and get our heads around who you are, as we wrestle with who you are, Father, would you be with us in the wrestle? And would you speak to us in the wrestle? And would you encourage us to keep wrestling out who you are and how to live lives that uh, reflect the glory and honour that you are due. Would you be with us this week? Would your words take root and bear fruit in us this week, we ask, by your spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Enjoy your week, everybody. Take care, everybody. Good to see you guys. Bye-bye.